Hey everybody, uh, we are doing something a little different today. Today we're doing our back to school special um, message because the kids are heading back to school, life is kind of flipping the page. And so we've decided that to go along with our minute to win it challenge, which is gonna be happening in our main service, that we're me our message today is gonna be dealing with the challenges of life. And this is gonna be appropriate for you as a student um, or you in life. It doesn't matter where you're at in life because we're gonna be taking a look at how to be equipped for the year ahead. And uh, so we're going to be uh, taking a look at uh, and using a backpack today because all the kids are going to be wearing their backpacks to school. It's going to be filled with all kinds of stuff. And these items that we're going to pull out of this backpack are going to help us be better equipped for the life ahead. So Pastor Christian, would you give me the backpack? And uh, he's going to be coming in and sharing the message here. Um, he's going to be sharing a few of the points, but I'm going to get us started with the first one. So anyway, as we take a look here, here at this backpack. It is filled with stuff that uh, gives us the stuff that we need to be successful in life. And um, we are going to, uh, you know, just take it uh, piece by piece. And hopefully you're going to get some ideas for how you could be more equipped for being successful in life. And um, the first item that I'm going to pull out of this handy dandy backpack is none other than a textbook. Kids are going to be dragging around their textbooks, um, and their textbook is critical to the, the core of learning, right? Each and every subject in school is going to have a main textbook that the teachers are going to be drawing from to, to get their lessons, to uh, equip the learning. And these textbooks are so important because, uh, you know, the, the kids are going to refer to them when they're trying to uh, get themselves prepped for the answers they need to fill out their homework. They're going to be assigned reading assignments out of it. And then they're going to be facing the test, the test at the end of the quarter, the end of the semester. And when they're getting ready for the tests, they're going to be using their textbook to find the, uh, the answers that they're going to need. And it kind of reminds me of what you and I need in our life too. Not only do we as students need a textbook, but we also need the Bible. The Bible is our textbook and it is foundational to what we do in life as believers in Christ. It is the roadmap. It is the centerpiece of our lives. We need to be um, engaged in God's word every single day. And, and this, this is for our own learning but it's also for so much more than learning. It is where we go to find answers when we don't know what life is throwing at us, when we don't know how to think about something, when we don't know how to have the right perspective on a situation at work, a situation in our family, a situation in our marriage, a situation with our finances. We don't know what to do. I want to encourage you that God's word, his Bible has the answers that we need to have God's perspective on things. But then also on top of it, not only to find learning, also to find answers for the, you know, the challenges that come. But when you and I are tested, when we are faced with the challenges and testing of life, tests such as temptation, tests such as someone really getting under your skin, we have got to be ready um, with God's word and we go to his word for answers. In fact, I want to read a part of the Bible that talks about God's word and that is in 2 Timothy 3.16. 
It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Boy, that is a great description of how valuable the scriptures are to us. It gives us what we need for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. God's word is valuable for your life and it is the foundation. And so when you're trying to be equipped this year, I want to encourage you to equip yourself with God's word. Um, it's, here, here's how long-standing God's word is. It says in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. God's word is to be trusted. It was to be trusted as it was being given. It's to be trusted now thousands of years later, and we can trust it all the way through our life. When we need God's word, when we need answers for life, we can turn to the Bible and it will give us what we need. Pastor Christian is going to uh, pull something else out of his backpack now and is going to help us know what other piece of equipment we need to be successful in life. Pastor Joe just got done talking about the textbook. The textbook as the Bible. The Bible is one of the significant things, one of the tools that we need to face the challenges of today. The second one that we want to talk about is the sharpener. Let me grab this out of the backpack. The sharpener. The tool sharpener. The key of this is to sharpen our pencils and to get to a point where we will be able to write. For a lot of the kids in school, you may have used one of these or anyone may have used one of those. The verse that we're going to look at today for sharpening is talking about discipline. This is a key to what we can do is sharpen our spiritual life, sharpen uh, the desires that God has for us and to be better men and women. So the verse that we're going to look at is Hebrews 12, 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Painful in the moment, but yields righteousness in the end. For me, I love sports movies. I love movies that talk about the, the low man on the totem pole, the person that just cannot get it figured out, and then rises to the challenge, rises to the unthinkable, to the, to the place of, of coming out of their shell, coming out of the, the pain that they were in. And th some of the movies that I like to watch are Miracle on Ice, which talks about the U.S. Olympic team and the way that they beat the Russians and the, the buildup from these college kids who had, could not get it figured out to then ending up winning the Olympics. Also, Road to Glory talks about the first African-American basketball team in Texas and just the difficulties of things that they had to go through. Another one is Facing the Giants, which maybe you guys have seen, is about a football team who cannot um, get it figured out and they're struggling with faith and the coach is struggling with how to rally these players and teams together. And what I love about these movies that I just mentioned was the principle that is taught in every one of these. Number one is you can't do it alone. You've got to have some people that are around you sharpening your tool and helping you out. Number two is they all had to learn how to be disciplined. Discipline was key to them succeeding. It was the sacrifices that they had to give up. It was the, the, uh, the, pra the long practices that they had to hop into or the, the sweat, blood, and tears that they had to put into the sport, into the uh, challenge as a team. 
In all of these movies, the goals outweighed the excuses. There are a thousand excuses that we can come up with throughout the day. There are reasons why we cannot obtain the goal that we are, that we are trying to get to. But the ones that, who see their goal and are striving for it will be disciplined. If you have a goal and you are able to tackle it, there will be discipline that goes along with that. The goal for us is to show love of Christ through our actions and to everybody, whether that be our workplace, whether that be in the classroom, whether that be to our families. We are here to show the love of Jesus every day, right? So how do we obtain that goal? How do we get there? What's one thing, th th this, is the, this is what I would like you to walk away with, what is one thing that you need to work on to be disciplined? Just like sharpening that tool, just like figuring out how to, how to get to that goal that you have set. What is one thing this week, this month, that you can work on being disciplined? And I challenge you, put it up on the wall, put it up in the mirror, and look at that every day. And when those excuses are starting to outweigh that picture that you have, remember the reason that you are tackling that, the reason that you are tackling that goal of being disciplined. The third item that we would like to talk about is the pen and the paper. And as I pull these out, I feel like all of us use these. I try to use these on a daily basis, even with my work life, even with here at the church. This is a great tool that we use. This is a great equipment that we use to take notes. For you guys at work, maybe it's a, a note that the boss yells at you, hey, write this down. And so you get it out and you write down a note. Some of you guys might use tablets. Some of you guys might use uh, your phone to take notes. But notes are key. Notes are key for us to remember things like lists, grocery lists for parents. Maybe that's a big one. The, the wife sends a list to the husband or vice versa and they have to go pick up the groceries and you're like, oh man, I forgot the milk. Oh, if I would have wrote it down. If I would have wrote it down, I would have remembered, right? Notes are huge in school. This is how you study. This is how you get to a place of being able to remember what the teacher is teaching you. All right, so we're going to talk about how do we look at this and how do we see God in all this? How does taking notes benefit our relationship? How does it help us to get to a place of understanding God more? Well, I'd like to share a little bit of a story about um, Joshua in the Bible. Joshua had just come out of the wilderness and was trying to figure out how do we cross the Jordan River? He had all the Israelites, they were heading into the promised land, just had escaped from Egypt, spent the time in the wilderness, and is now heading over into the Jordan River. It's this raging river that runs right where they're trying to head, right across. It's right in the middle. There was no way they were about to get this. There was no way they were about to get across. But Joshua heard something from God. And what he did was, is they had the Ark of the Covenant, and the priests, they would carry this. And so what happened is, is Joshua told the priests to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and to walk into the river. How scary is that, huh? Yeah, you want me to walk into that? Really? That's what you, that, that's what you want me to do? So they trusted. They trusted what God had said to be true. So they took a step into the raging river, and the water stopped. And all the Israelites were able to walk through. And as they were walking through, um, they gathered up on the other side. They set up camp. 
And this is what happened. This is in Joshua 4, 4 through 7. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. It was a sign. It was a, it was a remembrance of what God had done in that moment. This was like us pulling out our textbook, writing down everything that happened in that moment and passing it on to our kids for them to remember. This was a symbol of that moment. Why is it important to keep notes or keepsakes when big events happen? These moments of, of uh, testing in our relationship with God, these are pillars that we can hold on to. These are pillars for our faith that when the next big thing that comes down, whether it be the, the bad news you heard at work or the bad news of the, the disease that may have hit your family, whatever it is, you trust in the Lord that he will take care of you and that he will be with you for the whole remainder of that challenge. And why? Because you look back at all the times that God was there for you. You look back and you remember those times. Just like these Israelites, they were not done with challenges. They had a lot more that was in store, but they could look back at this pillar. They could look back at this memory of who God was and they could come to a place that they're like, you know what? I remember when he showed up. I remember that moment that God could be there for me. And it pushes you through to the next challenge and the next challenge and the next challenge. These notes that we take, I challenge you guys practically, seriously, pull out a notebook. Be thankful for who God is in your life. Write down the struggles. Write down the challenges that you have been through. Come through that with an understanding and knowledge of what it is. Actually, for Susie and I, what we did this last year, um, right when we were in the craziness of engagement and trying to get married, we took time and we wrote down all that God had done for us that year. The good, the bad, the ugly, all the things that happened and how God played a part in protecting or giving us peace in the moment or whatever that looked like. And you know what? When you look back at what has happened, you realize how blessed maybe all those challenges and everything that you've come to really are. It's a perspective change. Now, I'm not trying to de uh, kind of bring down the fact that real things do go on in our life, and that, and that really does happen. But if we can get a perspective that God will be there and always is there for us, that's huge. Those are huge pillars that we get to hold on to when the next challenge comes down. The fourth tool that we have at our disposal that maybe all of you guys have brought to classroom and is like, or did not bring it to the classroom, is like, oh, I need this. I need the eraser. How often do you guys pull this out in your daily life or wish that you had a, maybe a magic eraser that would erase some of the situations that you've been in in life? I know that there were times where I wish I had a magic eraser uh, that would just kind of maybe 
to have me forget some moments that may have happened or anything like that. But now kids, this is a huge thing that you guys lose, right? So you're out there writing a paper and all of a sudden there is a misspelling of a word. You have the tool that you can erase that and then you can start over, right? It's big, it's a big tool that we use. Now I'm gonna read a verse and so we're gonna relate, how does the eraser work into today's life? How do we use this? How do we use erasing and kind of forgetting? You know, that, that's kind of how the eraser works, but how do we forgive? And there's a huge difference between forgetting and forgiving. And that's what I would like us to learn today. All right, I'm gonna read a verse. This is Matthew 6, 9 through 14. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us in, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other, others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, you may have heard this verse. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is what we are supposed to be praying to our Father. All these things are great things that we just need to really learn and, and understand what God is looking for from us, right? But what we're going to focus on is for if you forgive others of their trespasses, which means if you can forgive others of what they have done to you, that your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. See, this is what we're gonna, this is what we're gonna be honing in on. What does forget mean? What's the difference between forget and forgive? Well, let's look at forgive. Forgiving is a process that will bring resolution to a relationship or a situation. Either they will accept the forgiveness or not. But you have done everything in your ability to mend that relationship. To get to a point where you have done everything that you can do. And hopefully, through the process, you can move on. See, but now what forgetting does, forgetting negates the situation. It blocks it. It's like a roadblock in the road. You are not moving past it. You're stuck. You get to a place during a forget phase that you actually are not able to get anywhere with that human. Maybe I, I've, I've done that. I've tried to forget situations. It becomes really awkward. In a place where you're trying to mend a relationship and you try to forget what just happened before forgiving, you can't have a conversation. For that bully at school that just keeps bullying you and bullying you, I, I hear this prayer all the time. Can you please get this bully out of my life? Can you please get this bully gone? Parents, for, for people that have struggled with relationships or anyone that has struggled with relationships, getting that person out of my life. Can you just have them stop? Get it to stop. But what I would really like to challenge us in is to pray for that person instead of against that person. For us to get to a place where we could love that person through a prayer. See, what I've noticed when I start praying for the people that have done me wrong, you can't leave that prayer more angry, more mad, more frustrated. There's something about the power of prayer when you start praying for those that have done wrong to you. Again, it, it again gets you to a perspective that you know what? That person might be dealing with something. That person that caused wrong to you might be having something going on in their own life and they're lashing out. 
See, God can reveal things through prayer when you start praying for the ones that are doing you wrong. I challenge you today. I challenge you in this. Don't try to forget the situations. Don't try to just put them off to the side and wish that they never happened and, and get, get it out of there. And I never want to see that person again and hold this hatred, this hatred that you have to hold on to. But get to a place of forgiveness. Again, it's a process. It's not one day you wake up and everything's fine. Everything that that person has done. Guys, I know that a lot of you have gone through things that I just can't even imagine. But through the process of forgiveness, through the process of healing, you will come to a place where you can look that person, maybe in the eyes, maybe it's just a prayer, but you can look at them and you can say, you know what? I know what you've done is wrong, but I love you anyway. What you have done will hurt me, and it, and it does hurt me, but I can love you anyway through that. See, that's what the eraser, the eraser doesn't get it to forget. You don't forget the things, but what it does is it does give you a do-over with that person. It does get you to a place where you can erase the mistakes that were done, move on, and love the person anyway. All right, so we've got these pieces of equipment so far that have come out of this backpack, and now we've got one last piece of equipment, and it really is so vital. Um, and it's not gonna seem that significant to you probably, but uh, most every backpack's gonna have a calculator. And in this calculator, we find the potential for um, the solutions to all kinds of answers. But one of the things that it does is it calculates results. It calculates the final answer. And you and I, as we are going through this coming year, there's one thing that we need to count on. We've heard all kinds of great things so far about how to be and the equipment we need to be successful. But the one thing we need to um, wrap it all up with is the thought that we need to count on God. We need to count on Him that He is going to be present in every situation that we're at. We can trust it. Just as you punch in the numbers in a calculator and you um, trust the final answer to be accurate, um, we also can count on God to be there. We can count on Him to come through in a pinch. And he, it's like the X factor. So, you know, you are thinking through, um, you know, the problems and the issues that you might face this year and you go... I don't have all that I need. I don't have all the resources. I don't have all of the equipment, even all the great equipment we've given so far. You might say, I feel like I'm coming up short, but I want to encourage you to count on God to come through with all of the rest, all of the, the, the parts where you feel like you're going to fall short. You can count on God. Um, he is to be trusted. And so um, I want to talk about the scripture that as we attempt to count on God, there's this really cool passage of scripture. It's a cool story. You've probably heard it. Um, there was this King Nebuchadnezzar um, in Daniel chapter three, and he set up this um, statue, this figure, and he commanded all in his kingdom that when music was played, the certain music was played, they were supposed to bow down and worship him. 
And there were three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had decided they were not going to bow down to that false god. They were not going to um, listen to the king and all of his authorities um, when this music played because they were loyal to God. They were loyal to God alone. And so this made Nebuchadnezzar, he got word of this, it made him very mad, and he brought them in and he basically gave them one final ultimatum saying, here's your chance. If you want to save your lives, if you do not want to be thrown into this fiery furnace, you're going to bow down when you hear this music. And I love the way they, uh, they, they uh, respond to Nebuchadnezzar. Let's read in Daniel 3, verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But even if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. You see, they had this confidence in God that he will come through. Um, we will be thrown into the fire. We will walk with integrity in our worship of our one true God, and he will come through. We're going to count on him. We're going to figure him in to the equation. We're going to figure him into the equation. And so this, of course, made Nebuchadnezzar furious. He has them thrown in. In fact, it says that he's so mad, he's turned the furnace up like seven times hotter. And so as they are thrown in, even the people that threw them into the fire, they got too close and they were burned and killed. This is just to give evidence of how hot and dangerous this furnace was. And they watched these three men thrown into this fiery furnace. They've got dead men laying there, the ones who got too close. And here they see that the three men are not getting burned up. And they don't know what to make of it. But I want to read the response here. Daniel 3, verses 24 through 25, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I love this because it's a math equation. They threw three men in, they look, and they see four men there. And they said this fourth man is like the Son of God. And you see here, we need to realize that God's math is different. We take this calculator and we come up with, you know, our facts and figures and we put the numbers in and we can trust that what comes out is the right answer. But God's math is different because you're going to put in your numbers and you're going to calculate, you know, the issues that you're dealing with and all the resources that you have to deal with them, um, the energy that you have to deal with it, the people you have around you. And you might come up short on your numbers. We aren't going to make it in that situation with what we have. Well, you see, God's math always calculates in God. He, he comes in as an X factor in the equation. And in the story, we find three men are thrown in. They said, God's going to come through. God's going to um, be there in the midst. And even if he doesn't, we still aren't going to bow down. 
And what I want to encourage you, we've got all this equipment that we've just shared with you today. But this last piece of equipment, this trusting God to come through, he will, he will be that X factor for you. He will supply all that you need um, in your issues this year. And, um, you know, when, I, when I've talked to people about whether they can tithe, whether they can give 10% of their money, and they look at all their bills, and they look at all they make, and they say, I don't know how I'm going to afford to tithe. Well, friends, I want to let you know that God's math is different. He says, test me in this. Put me first in your finances. Give me the first 10% and watch that I will not open up all of the resources of heaven will be yours and I will take care of you probably in unexplainable ways because God's math is different. It, he is this um, one that comes through and makes up for all of the loss and all of the gaps. And so I want to encourage us today to trust God to count on him, to depend on him, to make sure you're figuring him in to your faith plan. And it will change all the circumstances. Let's pray. God, um, I thank you for the way you provide the equipment that we need. We've talked about it. I pray, God, for the students that are going back to school. I pray for the teachers that are filling the classroom. I pray, God, for the administration that is uh, you know, going into the classrooms. And Lord, there's uncertainties about this year. Certainly in the news, we know about them. But Father, we pray right now that you would give our kids and our teachers and our parents who are homeschooling and all those who are serving in the education system all of the wisdom and all of the resources that they need. We pray that you would be honored in the schools this year. We pray, God, that uh, those who would have ill agenda, evil plan for the schools, for the kids, for the teachers this year, that those plans would be thwarted, that you would be honored and exalted, that the kids in our nation and the kids in our community and the kids in our families, the kids in our church would all receive all that they need to learn of you, to discover you, to grow into men and women of God. And we pray that this year would be a very special year in that happening. And Lord, we choose to count on you. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.